wealthy do-gooder. With ChatGPT entering the scene a few months ago, it quickly became clear that the AI age is upon us. How the world works is undergoing an unprecedented transformation. My guest today calls it the fourth industrial revolution. Jobs and industries are already disappearing. Others will rise to take their place. With powerful information and computing capabilities at everyone's fingertips, how can you make the most of these revolutionary tools? My guest today is Andrea Sampson, TED Speaker Coach and founder of the Thought Leader Academy. She's been a coach to some of the people creating these technologies for years. And six years ago, she even hosted a symposium exploring the idea of answers versus questions in the age of AI. Join us as we explore this bold new frontier and the importance of asking better questions in a rapidly changing AI-assisted world. Could pursuing purposeful prosperity through fresh ideas be our best chance for creating a happier and healthier world? We know our realities are a result of what we think about. Spiritualists have been teaching this for centuries. Science is now illustrating how. If we don't like what's going on around us, we'd be wise to tackle the problem at the root, our thinking. Which brings me to the mission of Thinking Vitamins, the podcast that helps you think about what you think about and replace ideas that don't create the life you want with ones that do. I'm your host, Jill McCabe, and my vision is that when enough of us use the power of thought to create purposeful prosperity, we will transform the world. With ChatGPT taking us all by storm, I feel like we are all on a magic carpet ride and we have no idea where that ride is taking us. Andrea, I couldn't get out of my head that back in 2017, six years ago, you tackled what people are talking about now. And that just made me know I had to get you to say yes to talking to me about this on Thinking Vitamins because you've seen this coming and have been having these conversations about, you know, questions versus answers for years. It is my absolute pleasure, Jill. I think one of the things that has been true about me throughout my entire career is that I'm always a little ahead of the curve, which has not always done me favors. When it came to this one, this was interesting. We had started doing some work with Singularity University. And for those of you who don't know who Singularity U is, they are a think tank out of Silicon Valley who are dedicated dedicated to impacting the lives of a billion people by applying exponential technologies to the world's greatest problems. So they are a purpose-driven organization looking deeply at how technology is impacting our lives. And I got involved initially as a fan and was one of the team that brought Clarity here to Canada. We ran initially a, a summit here in Canada, and eventually we brought the entire brand here, and I was head of faculty for SU Canada. And through that work, I started working with some of the smartest people in the world. And I eventually went on to become the lead certifier for SU globally and traveled the world in 2019. In the early days, I was working with these individuals who were doing things like developing what is now ChatGPT. Now, 
whether they were working on that particular app or another, it, it didn't really matter. The point being is that they were working on AI. I was working with roboticists. I was working with people who were early in the days of crypto and blockchain and looking at so many things through the lens of technology and how technology was impacting our lives. And so as I'm working with these really smart people, I'm hearing some common things. And the thing that I was hearing commonly was that when we think about humanity and artificial intelligence, the biggest difference is that as humans, we're curious. And artificial intelligence, it's not, not curious at all. It's, it really is a series of algorithms. Now, those algorithms can appear to be curious. They can emulate curiosity, but they're not curious. They need questions. And all I could think about was, well, but who's going to ask the questions? Because isn't the questions really what drives the technology? Isn't it truly what we ask it that technology gives us? So I was grappling with this question as I was working with my clients. Back in those days, I thought, how fun would it be to explore this? And I remember at that time, and I actually still have a link to it on my computer. I'm just looking at it right now. There was a, there was a really early precursor to what is now chat GPT called talk to transformer. And it was doing this. And I was, I was fascinated by this little tool that could give me chunks of text. But again, I had to ask it questions. So who's teaching us? as humans to ask questions. No one. There's no one asked teaching us that. And so that was what I wanted to know. You invited me to be a presenter and I was stumped for a second that you wanted me to explore through a talk, which I had normally seen as answers. And you wanted me to explore better questions. And I went back and I watched that talk, which is on YouTube. I'll share the link in the show notes because it was a powerful evening. I enjoyed that talk. And I will say that it's so exciting to hear the backstory and this idea of curiosity. One of the reasons I wanted to reach out to you was when I first encountered and was introduced to ChatGPT. My first few trials with the app didn't get me the depth of what I've wanted and discovered as I put effort into thinking about the quality of the questions, then I was getting these incredible answers. Today is about questions versus answers. We know the answers are there. We can get the answers. So we're going to explore today how to ask better questions. Is that right? Yeah, sure. How would you invite the smart people in my audience to start thinking about or using or approaching chat GPT or other AI? Yeah. yeah. I think one of the most important things is, first of all, technology or not, we need to be curious. And that's what a question is, right? A question is a, is a, a moment of curiosity. I want to know something I don't know, or I want to understand something that I know in a new way. And so a question allows us to take a step back and go, what do I already know? And what do I need to know in order to progress either my knowledge or my experience or get closer to what it is I want to get closer to? And so when we approach a question as a moment of curiosity, it allows us to be in a place of wonder. And when we suspend what we know and we go to that place of wonder, it allows us to really just 
open up for new answers. So, so when we're looking at technology, the challenge with technology is it knows nothing about what we already know. And we don't have an energetic connection to technology. So when you and I, Jill, are talking, there's an energy exchange going on. We know that. We can feel it in some way, shape, or form. And so you're throwing a question at me. I'm considering it. I'm thinking about it. I'm answering it in whatever way. I'm throwing a question back to you. And we're in a little bit of a volley back and forth, right? But that's not the case with, with AI. With AI, we're talking to an algorithm and we need the algorithm to keep us in the question longer because the first answer that the algorithm is going to give us back is going to be the most obvious. And this is one of the things that we learn early on as coaches about asking questions, right? Is that the longer we stay in the question, the better quality of the answer that we get. Like, what would the internet say about Andrea Sampson? Maybe I'm going to ask it that question. It'll come up with an answer. Then I might say, what would it say about Andrea Sampson as a TED speaker coach? I might get another answer. Now, the longer I stay in that question and the more attributes I put to it, I start learning a little bit more about what the outside world thinks about me. Now, that's a, a question maybe I didn't know the answer to. Maybe I thought I knew, but ChatGPT gives me a new reflection. When we're asking it something we know, what we're doing is we're adding to a bank of knowledge we already have. So I might know a little bit about something. And as I ask it questions, I'm adding to it and I'm deepening. So the longer I stay in the question the deeper my knowledge base will become. And actually, the deeper my connection with ChatGPT will become because it's learning as well. We're in a learning experience, but it's me learning with the AI. We've become little learning buddies. And it's important to think of it in that way. It doesn't know anything that you haven't asked. It's not smarter than you. In fact, it's way less smart than you. You're the person that's controlling that environment and that learning experience. Wow. You have said so much. I want to take a moment to unpack because that for me was one little mind after another. So let's just start with the first one. Let's start with curiosity and staying in the question. I think that is brilliant as a teacher, facilitator, coach, what does that mean? I really am a learner. <laughs> really what it means is I love to learn and I've got to share what I learn with people so I can, you know, I can learn some more. I've heard it called the Buddhist mind. Let's say a Buddhist monk who'd been meditating for 20, 30 years in a monastery, most of them silent, went to a meditation class by a 16-year-old in La Jolla, California, that monk would be there with full and rapt attention to see what they could learn. There would not be this assumption, well, what can you teach me? You're 16. I've meditated my whole life. I know all this already. There is always something to learn. And so to stay in the curiosity 
I think that's going to be my think personal thinking vitamin. I know listeners, you will come up with your thinking vitamins this episode and let me know. But for me, staying in the question longer, staying in curiosity longer, I say yes. One thing that came up for me as you were speaking, though, is that it is a learning buddy, but it is also trying, it feels like it's trying to please me. And meaning it feels like it's trying to deliver information that it thinks I want, which is a problem for curiosity. I was doing a learning session on it. And just like you said, the first question led to pretty basic answers and we had to dig down to get the good stuff. But then it sort of guessed what outcome we were looking for. At the time, I was talking about which medical device is better for measuring pain. Okay, that was that simple. And it could kind of tell that one of my clients had a particular device (laughs) because it started to say at the end, this is the best one. Okay. But then I said, well, it's learning about us, though, based on our questions. And he, a very smart guy, said, all right, let's start a new thread where we just ask this deeper question that we eventually got to in a new thread. And it gave us a completely new answer. Mm-hmm. I think what you've gotten at is a really important point, which is technology. Again, technology is giving us what we're asking. So when you and I are having a conversation and maybe you want to make me happy. And so you're giving me the answers that I want to hear. It happens all the time. We've all been in those conversations. But at some point I can go, but Jill, but really, tell me what you really think. And you might say to me, do you really want to know? And now we know we're into the good stuff, right? We can't do that with ChatGPT because here's the thing. What it's doing is it knows more about us than we think it knows because it's learning about us. And so when we're asking those questions, it has insider knowledge. And so in some ways, we have to tell it, anonymize me, forget who I am. Pretend that somebody else is asking this question. Pretend so-and-so is asking this question. So giving it different personas to ask the question from will get you away from that bias because that's what it is. Because we're living inside of a biased bubble, which we all are, by the way, this is true of all of us. Take somebody who has a completely different view than you and ask it as them, you know, Say to chat GPT, I am now so-and-so, how would they answer this question and give the question? And it's going to come back to you with a completely different answer. I love that because we have, we've heard, or if you haven't heard, you've heard it now, you can ask chat GPT or, you know, Microsoft is embedding it into its, into its tools and lots of different things are coming up, but you can ask, can you write a story in so-and-so's voice or can you create a blah in so-and-so's voice? But I love what you're saying right now, Andrea, which is to flip it and say, can you anonymize me? Can you ask the question as, and when we jumped on the phone and I, (laughs) listeners, I wish we had recorded that phone call. We yammered for hours (laughs) about (laughs) what's really going on behind the scenes. And when we got on the phone, you said, well, yeah, we should be concerned about what they're doing with all this data yeah. and where is this going? Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I know ChatGPT is is the thing right now. It's the darling of the moment. And we are all enamored by it because, yeah, it, it 
cuts down on the amount of time that it takes to create content. It can speak in my voice. It can write blogs for me. I mean, look, the thing is pretty amazing. And thanks to the amazing, you know, scientists who have created this, and that's fantastic. But here's the thing most of us don't understand. There is actually no governance on AI. It's, it is a scary, scary world that we're in right now because data privacy, we all hear about data privacy and we think that there are some things out there around and there are, don't get me wrong. There's lots of privacy rules. What's missing are rules and governance on the people who write the code. There isn't any governance on that. And because there isn't any governance, the people themselves and their own biases makes its way into the code. And that's a real problem. That's a real problem because who's writing the code for this stuff? It's not Canadians, by the way. It's not even, for the most part, Americans. Most of this code is being written in countries that are governed by very, very different rules and ethics and values. And that unconscious bias, it's not that the people who are writing the code are bad. They're not. They're good people. They're doing what they believe to be right. But their bias their values. That's what's getting into the code. And then go on top of that and go, well, how is all of this stuff that they know about us being used? Because we're, we are now feeding a machine. That's what chat GPT is. We're feeding a machine with who we are and what we value and how we want to be seen. And that's being used in ways we don't know. You know, I remember many years ago when 23andMe first came out, Some, so many of us, you know, remember those early days of DNA testing. And in fact, the year that we brought SU to Canada, we were looking at having, giving out actually DNA tests at the, at the conference. And I remember the conference chair at the time asked me what I thought of it. And I said, I think it's a horrible idea. And he was like, why? Everybody wants their DNA done. And I said, well, I don't. And here's why I don't. I don't want anyone to have my DNA. I, I don't want to give up rights to my DNA. And he looked at me and went, well, you know, they're not going to do anything with it. And I went, how do you know? I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with it. And, you know, a year or two later, 23andMe sold its database to the pharmaceutical industry. And now all of that DNA data is being used to profile people as they come into companies. You don't know this. This is happening behind the scenes. So if you had your DNA done by 23andMe back in those early days, and even today, because I think they still have a license to do this, um, that data is being used by the pharma industry. And what's happens, you know, companies can buy into that data. They can go and go, you know, ask about, you know, Andrea Sampson, does she have a history of breast cancer in her family. And if the answer comes back on my, do I have a precursor? If I've got something in 23andMe, if I, my data is there, then that company has access to whether or not I've got a predisposition for breast cancer. And that company could, not saying they would, but they could disqualify me from a job because they could look at it and go, you're too high a risk. You would never know that. That is what's happening today with DNA. That is, that is 100% what is happening out in the world. So imagine now an entire library of our thoughts and feelings being fed into chat GPT. What's happening with that? Yeah, I think it is sort of this, we're, it's here to stay. 
but we need to learn how to use it. Uh, thinking vitamins listeners will use it in ways that are empowering and maybe not and be careful about ways that are less empowering. I'll, I'll give a couple of examples. I have a very senior, somebody very senior in security in as a client who's been on the frontier of security for decades. And, you know, I just was following his feed on LinkedIn and see people are feeding their private company data to chat GPT to get help with their work. And the companies don't even know that this is happening. I personally, I'm working on a book. We're, we're going to hear about Andrea's book in a second, which is super cool. Uh, my listeners already know I'm working on the wealthy do-gooder. And I put my idea about how to balance purpose, prosperity, and peace into chat GPT. And it could not answer the question. Like I went at it a number of different ways and everything it gave me was so superficial and vanilla, not exciting or juicy at all. And I was like, yes, I have something original. So do you think I'm going to take my chapters and shove them into chat GPT? Heck no, because that goes from being my IP that I would like to release in my book and surprise people versus giving it away. And so we need to be careful that we're also, I think, taking, using it as that, what did you say, a learning partner? I like it as like a brainstorming kind mm -hmm. of partner to help spark ideas that I wouldn't have had. But do I give it my fresh ideas and ask them to work, rework them? No, 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 no. no. I think it, I think there's one thing to throwing some marketing copy in there and going rewrite this so it's po more powerful to, to like taking, you know, absolutely. Like, I, you know, somebody asked me that recently as well of like, hey, you're writing a book. Are you using chat GPT? And I was like, Absolutely not. But interestingly, somebody in my network is actually writing a book all through ChatGPT, only using it. And, you know, they're doing it to some degree, you know, for the, you know, the shock appeal of, hey, you can do this. And sure you can, of course you can, but it is going to be an amalgam of everybody else's ideas. And, and, I, all the power to them. I would never say don't do that because that's an idea. And, you know, and there's even a piece of art in there. So I think there is something interesting about using these tools because that's what they are. They are tools. And so we have to be careful to not mistake the tool for the thinker. And that's really a powerful idea. Is it ever a powerful idea? Yes. Let us not mistake the tool for the thinker. Andrea, I can't wait to dive more into this because I know there's some things you're also really excited about. And we're going to chat about that in a second. We're going to take a short break where I share a little bit about my work. Hey there. I wanted to take a few moments to let you know what I do for a living outside of this awesome Thinking Vitamins podcast. Do you have a purpose-driven business or project you're ready to take to the next level? Whether you are working on clarifying your business model, vision, mission, capturing what makes you unique in your brand story or messaging, or learning how to be more effective in your work so you have more time for you, I can help. I'm a business, branding, and balance strategist and trainer with a proven track record and I help people create authentic, purposeful, and prosperous businesses and brands. You can learn about my services, seminars, retreats, and courses 
at my website, where you can also get access to my best-selling book, It's Go Time, Build the Business and Life You Really Want, for free, or learn how you can join me for free First Fridays Fireside Chats. These are free chats that I do once a month on the first Friday, where you can get my insights on all things branding and business. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. And now let's get back to our guest. One of the things I loved about our conversation last week was how excited you got. You, you know, we were talking about, oh, these are all the possibilities and these are all the risks. And yet what I loved about our conversation was overall, you were excited about where this can take us. Take me to that part of your thinking around. Yeah. I mean, all good things are risks. We never get out of this this life without risk. But I think what's happening right now, I think where that excitement came from is we were talking about, you know, sort of like this dystopian future that is possible. We hear it all the time, right? You know, we can't turn on the TV without hearing about a dystopian future that we're in store for. And I am not at all worried about our future. I am, you know... I have the privilege and the honor of working with people who are working on some of the world's biggest problems. I have seen behind the curtains of the work that's actually happening in our world, and we're in good hands. There are some amazing people out there doing amazing work. And is it easy? God, no. There, you know, it's hard, hard slogging, but we are on the precipice of so much positive change. And so I'm excited for what's coming. Things like ChatGPT, well, that's a tool, but there's so much more that's coming from that. And when I was working with some roboticists, I think I told you this story. I had this one roboticist who I was working with, who I absolutely adore. And he, as you can imagine, he's working in an area that is deep technology. Robots are AIs, right? The the whole point of a robot is that it's artificial intelligence in some way, shape, or form. And I was at the time working with two different roboticists. So one was working on what's called social robots. So these are robots who would literally you know, Westworld style, walk amongst us, be one of us. And she was creating a world where robots would be part of our society and actually was creating an artificial environment, testing out what what should we be doing in order to ensure that we don't create a race of slaves. Really interesting. Then this other roboticist who I was working with, he was creating what are called service robots. Now, service robots, now this, you start to go, well, wait a minute, these are kind of the opposite ends of the spectrum, right? And they are. I mean, for him, service robots, they're there to serve us. That's what they do. They they serve the humans. They serve the needs that we have. And service robots are everything from the robotic arm that picks up something off of a, an assembly line to the robotic forklift that loads and unloads trucks. And and then everything in between. So, you know, everything from, you know, bots that are going into mines. And so as I was working with him and we were, we were working on a talk and his talk was all about the, the ways in which robots can and should serve us. And in his words, it was the dull, the dirty and the dangerous. That's what robots 
take over for us, right? The dull work. I mean, who wants to paint a house? Let's face it. It's not exactly exciting. A robot can do it way better. Dirty. Who wants to be, you know, working in these like in sewers? I mean, no one. And the dangerous, I mean, going into mines is incredibly dangerous work. And so these are places where robots work way better than humans. And as I dealt with him and we dug deeper and deeper and we went into the question, we stayed into it. And he was not at all happy with staying into the question because he's a scientist and he had an answer, which was it was a robot. And that's what robots did. But as we went deeper and and deeper and finally we got to the point where I was like, well, but why is it important? Why is it important that people that we have these robots to do this for us? And he said, because we need to free ourselves to be creative. And I was like, that's it. I said, you're a humanist. And he said, yeah, at my core, I am, because that's why I do what I do. I'm creating a race of robots that have nothing to do with being part of humanity. These might be, these are just tools that do repetitive tasks. That's what they are. They're tools. But what they do is they give humans the space to be what we are, which is creative. And that really opened up my understanding of this whole concept of where our future is going. We've got people who are looking at ways in which we can free ourselves from the industrialization that we created. We are now in the fourth industrial revolution. And this is the cyber physical revolution. We went through three versions of it where we industrialized humans. We turned ourselves into machines. And this is the very first industrial revolution where we are freeing ourselves, where the machines we are creating are freeing humans. And we don't know what to do with ourselves. And that's the problem. And so as with every industrial revolution, what happens is at first we lose jobs and then we create something new. And the thing that we're creating new right now is so revolutionary from what we have ever created. We can't even imagine it. And that's what's exciting about our future. Wow. I know I could and have talked to you for hours on this topic. You've given me and I hope the listeners a lot to think about in terms of asking deeper questions, I think staying in the questions, remembering that we are the human, this is the tool, have different types of conversations, ask for different perspectives, please anonymize me, figure out, you know, what's it feeding you? How is it, how is it building the walls of our beliefs how is it fortifying those walls? And how can we actually use this tool to disassemble those walls? I'm really glad you brought us to this idea that this is the first revolution that has not industrialized humans. I know my mother, who's in her 80s, has been in you know early childhood education all her life. And her instinctive response was, this is going to be great. Now, Teaching rote information will no longer cut it as education. Absolutely. Kids are going to have to be taught, to your point, Andrea, about how to be more curious, how to stay in the question, not just jump to a solution because I have a scientific mind, but really go to those deeper places. And it's going to help us get there faster. I don't think we can predict where this is going. I think that would be hubris. But in sort of wrapping up, 
what would you like to say to the listeners? How would you like to leave them? Where would you like them to take their thoughts on this? Questions versus answers. What I would like to leave you with is that as humans, our innate way of being is to be creators. We are creative. And when we live in that place of creativity, we can be curious. And by being curious, we create something new. And this is what I think we have forgotten about ourselves with all the industrialization. Our job is to grow and to ask and to wonder. And so I think when we think about questions versus answers, ask more questions. Don't worry about the answers. The answers will come. They are always there. But ask more questions because in the questions, you will find the path to the new. And that's where we're going. And that's what's so exciting about the future we're creating. I love it. Questions with curiosity and wonder. And I know, listeners, that a question on your mind right now is, how do I find out more about this Andrea (laughs) Sampson? And where can I get more of her knowledge and insights? And I will tell you that what she does, I just want to take a moment. What she does is, if you're someone who's considered yourself an expert Uh, and or wondered if you had what it takes to be a thought leader. You probably do. And Andrea is the woman to get you from A to B on that. So I know you can find her on LinkedIn. I know she's got a Thought Leadership Academy. Follow her. Find her. Go learn how she can help. Andrea, tell, tell us, please, how can listeners come find you? We'll have the links, but how can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. I am very active on LinkedIn. Follow me there. You can sign up for our newsletter at talkboutique.com, which is my company, and the Thought Leader Academy. Check us out. We've got courses and programs. We'll help you to step into your thought leadership and watch for my upcoming book, The Everyday Thought Leader. That will be out later this year. I'm actively writing it right now, but it is due out this summer. So watch for that. And as Jill said, there is a thought leader inside of you and we need more diversity in our thought leadership because the future we are creating needs to reflect all of who it is serving. So as a woman, as an aging woman, as a neurodiverse woman. I am a representative of one group of diverse people, but there are so many more and we need your voices in the leadership for our future. So use it. That is your gift. Brilliant. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me today for this really mind expanding chat about how to get better at asking questions. I know I will. Thank you, Jill. This has been so much fun. Thanks for tuning in to the Thinking Vitamins podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and gained some valuable insights on how to use better questions to work with AI more effectively. If you did, please follow, rate, and review the podcast on your favorite platform. And if you have feedback, a favorite thinking vitamin, or question about the podcast, I'd love it if you sent me an email at podcast at jillmccabe.com. My last name has only one C, and you can find the link in the show notes. This episode was produced on Vancouver Island in Canada. Our guest today was Andrea Sampson. The music and sound were created by Bradley Parsons, and the closing jingle by Sylvia Humble. Join me next time as I explore crowd control and rethinking regret with five times New York Times bestselling author, Daniel Pink. This is your host, Jill McCabe, 
encouraging you to keep thinking about what you're thinking about. Start with your thinking when it's time to up-level your life. And remember, since science has shown that the world is a reflection of our inner realities, that our collective future depends on your success. Thinking Vitamins with Jill McKay.